Chapter 12 Ouch! I landed on some goddamn bush and came crawling out onto the road. I got up and headed blindly downhill toward Panahachel, my backpack feeling heavy because of that rock I'd taken as a perverted souvenir from my very brief stay at Michael Bernhardt's loco place. The steady downhill stroll, it felt good. I felt relief and at the same time was wondering if I should make myself turn around and go back to talk things through with that guy. He remained my only link to Mahi. But my body just continued walking away from him, heading down the gently sloping road toward whatever. That whatever got specific all on its own when, fifteen minutes later, I came walking into town, rounded a turn, and there in the distance was the big old local church. I don't know why, but it looked just so beautiful right then. Maybe because of the soft lighting all around the town square, creating a startlingly pristine sense of eternal space, a momentary bliss zone that I'd inadvertently stumbled into. I walked onward into what seemed like a vastly complex local scene of chatting strollers, dust and wood smoke, the scent of food being cooked over a thousand wood and propane stoves. Ah. The next thing I remember is being inside the church itself, walking with a steady meditative pace down the middle aisle of this ancient wood-beam priestly cult hangout walking quite humbly and dumbfounded along the worn red carpet, following the straight and narrow path toward the sacramental altar. Then, about ten rows before I got there, my body turned on its own and walked sideways into a row of empty pews to my left. There seemed to be no one at all in the church. I remembered the much grander cathedral in Oaxaca, and for a moment I believed in magic. I willed that Mahi would appear right now, come walking casually into my pew, and sit right down next to me. My eyes rose upward and stared across an alcove set into the other side of the church, and I realized I was looking at a dimly lit life-size carving of the young Virgin Mary riding side-saddle on a donkey, while holding in her arms the tiny baby Jesus. And behind them was the carving of a man walking beside the donkey with his left hand on Mary's shoulder. All quite simple, but really very gracefully done. And now something was happening over by the carving in the alcove. A tiny flash of fire. Ah, a candle was being held by a girl who was lighting another candle on the Virgin Mary's altar, and now lighting more and more candles, until finally there were maybe a couple dozen burning in unison over there, about thirty feet across the church from me. The girl over there, wearing a bright-colored wipile and hand-embroidered skirt, was now kneeling in front of the Virgin Mary, and the baby Jesus, and old Joe. I saw her reach and place onto the altar 
a bouquet of simple wild flowers that she'd probably picked in some Panahachal meadow down by the lake. With an inner mental snap, I saw a youthful Mahalena over there with the gift of wild flowers, kneeling before the Virgin. The vision struck my heart so strong that I gasped with a gulp of smoky incense air. Then I dropped back into my body, and Mahi was gone, and the local girl was standing up. Turning toward me, she looked right across as if she'd known all along that I was there witnessing her devotion. I raised my left hand up into the air in some kind of universal gesture that had no meaning but a, a lot of heart, and she smiled a most remarkable, all-knowing, youthful smile, raised her left hand gently to me, and then looked back to the Virgin Mary, nodded to her as if they were intimate friends or even kin, and then walked quietly down the far side of the Iglesia, and was gone. I stood up and walked out too. And that's how I came to be walking along the main street bustle of Panahachel. I instinctively ducked into the same restaurant where the black girl had been singing her heart out the night before, but now there was Credence Clearwater playing almost too loud on the restaurant music system. The place was crowded, and a waitress quite different from the one last night, came to my table, tilted her lovely head of brown hair, as if inspecting me. Are you perhaps Mr. Perry? she queried. Uh, what? Did you just come in off the bus from the city? Uh, bus? No. I'm helping a friend, she explained, find a man arriving tonight on the last bus, a visitor for her spa. He's from Memphis. Nope, not me. Well, then, you've been here on the lake long? Been across the lake to Santiago Atilan? Not yet, I said. I went over there for almost two weeks, she told me. No way that I'm going back. How about a beer? The local is bad. She came right back with my beer. I gobbled good food and now and then glanced toward the door. Michael might come looking for me, but I felt in my gut that I'd had my fill of that guy for tonight. The door banged open, and I glanced a bit apprehensively to see who was entering. But it was only some gaunt old guy with an ancient cowboy hat, obviously a local and perhaps the local drunk, dressed in rumpled long sleeve shirt and Levi's. He came strolling in like he owned the place. Holding one red rose in his left hand, he paused and stood there looking around. Somebody shouted greetings to him. Others ignored him completely. I took another pull on a tall coffee liqueur drink that my waitress had made for me. When I looked back up to the old guy, he was walking right up toward my table. With a most serious expression, he paused and looked directly into my eyes, raised the rose out to me, and said quietly, A la nueva, amigo. Dumbfounded, I took the rose from him. He nodded, and then walked on over to a crowded table across the big room, 
sat down with three guys about his own age, and never once looked back to me. Hey, I said to my waitress as she came by, that guy, what did he mean by saying a la nueva to me and handing me this rose? Oh, she said casually, that's David. He belongs to the movement. What movement? The a la nueva movement. And what's that? Well, it's just some local thing happening over across the lake. Like I told you, it's weird over there. She hurried off to the kitchen. My heart was pounding with hope. Had this solitary rose I was holding come directly from Mahi? Was she right now out there, ready to come in, or maybe expecting me to come out and find her? And then yipes. The door banged open to my left, and I looked sharply as in walked a plump, middle-aged woman. Definitely not Mahi. She seemed maybe American or perhaps European, dressed in tailored city slacks and a loose, somewhat elegant light blue blouse. Her grazing eyes passed over me and seemed to register something, because she came walking right toward me. What was this, I was beginning to wonder. Was someone putting me on here? Ah, Mr. Perry, she said speaking in an English that was laced with a lilting Spanish or maybe Portuguese accent. Been through that already, I told her. I'm not your man. Yes, I know. I think he missed the last bus. You are welcome to come with me, if you would like a place to spend the night. Perhaps several nights, yes? I am here to welcome you to peace and quiet during your stay. I own the Agua Caliente. It is a very small resort on the lake. Six cottages and the hot springs. Of course I am not inexpensive. My name is Francesca. Are you finished? Shall we go? She smiled what looked like a knowing smile. I assumed Michael had sent her. And what the hell? I paid and grabbed my backpack and walked out with her to a dusty, beat-up, white Land Rover. We headed off to the east, out of town, bumping along the bridge over the rocky river crossing. The rustic, native side of town was bright in her headlights, until the dirt road began climbing steeply around the first point, headed off toward the native village of Santa Catarina, a few kilometers to the east. Francesca was talkative, saying she was from Buenos Aires, her mother had been Swiss, her father Italian. She claimed to know everything happening on the lake. She braked hard and drove down to a wooden gate set in a high rock wall. At the click of her opener, the gate swung wide and we drove down and parked. I let myself be led along a path past several cottages set back about fifty feet from a high cliff. Way off down below was the blackness of the lake. The gardens seemed lush. She took me into a cottage, and I threw my backpack onto the bed. I would be pleased to show you down below, she offered, unless you're too tired for a soak. Soak, I said. Good idea. We headed off on a path to the cliff, 
and took steep wooden stairs that ended fifty feet below on the beach of a tiny cove, and, dominating the moonlit view, straight across the water in the distance, was the main volcano where Mahi had grown up and was hopefully heading for right now. She led me on a well-worn rock path right into the mountain through a natural ten-foot crack in the cliff. About a hundred feet in, we arrived at the end of the path, where a tiny stream of almost boiling water coming out of the bowels of Atitlan flowed down into the lake water. That smaller pool up high will be far too hot for you, she explained. This third one here, the big one, will be perfect, and when you want to cool off, all you do is slip over that low rock into the lake water. But remember, the water is deep and continues far into the interior of the mountain. It's best not to swim into that darkness. Uh, hey, who's that? What's, who's that? I found myself asking, suddenly realizing that about 30 feet away, in very dim light from a distant overhead bulb, I could vaguely make out some ghostly apparition. A very old man sitting naked on a pillow on a high flat rock in the steamy heat of the cave. Francesca was busy producing two glasses, a decanter of brandy, and two bottles of beer from her woven basket. Without hesitation, she began taking off her clothes. I felt she was being careful, her expression looking slightly fearful maybe even a bit devious under her casual, eager-to-please facade. She was likewise looking at me as I took off my clothes and climbed in. So you are of the lingering tradition of Americans, she said, who wear no underwear. In earlier days down here, only the hippies and the cowboys didn't bother with undergarments. Ah, you're talking about my dad and my granddad, I responded, slipping myself down into the just bearable hot water of the pool. It was about eight feet across, with underwater wooden benches all around. Francesca was pouring herself a brandy, and I took a cold beer. Somewhere deep in the interior, water was dripping. Tell me, I said, needing to make sure... Do you perhaps know someone named Michael Bernhardt? Ah, Michael, she said. First, would you perhaps enjoy some music? And as if to wipe out any question about Francesca being just a random occurrence in my evening, that same remarkable voice that Mahi had often played when we were together was now filling what seemed like infinite convoluted space within the cavern. Fia. And as before, her voice was spookily erotic and angelic at the same time. Both my mom and my dad were lovers of great songwriters. I had been teethed on Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, Leonard Cohen, Randy Newman, Bob Dylan, Tim Buckley, and so forth. And Fia sounded like their youthful equal. So, Francesca was now saying, you asked about Michael, El Maestro. Everyone on the lake knows of Michael Bernhardt. He's a very fine local painter. 
I have one of his best hanging up in the hacienda. Well, I said, I met him, and he seemed a bit odd. Yes, she said. Many people down here, they live on that edge of oddness. Do you know his daughter, perhaps, Mahalena? I felt my face noticeably tense. I, yeah, I met her just once at a party in L.A. She seemed a bit way out, too, in a real pretty sort of way. She looked down and slowly took a sip of her drink. Silence and water dripping accompanied me as I sucked on my beer. Mahi and I, she went on, we sometimes have been friends. She comes here to the hot springs to relax, to recharge. Hmm, I said. Did she perhaps introduce you to that music we were listening to? Oh, yes. She's friends with Fia. I've listened to them singing together here in this very hot pool. Mahi usually sings the lower harmonies, but they both have a wide range. I just love how Fia goes from the deep down earthly tones right up into those sudden high angelic notes. Glissando, that's the word. Mahi goes often to Europe. She visits Fia there, but this is Mahi's home. Right now, during this Christmas season, Mahi is needed, but recently we see very little of her. I've been told by my sources around the lake that Mahi and her twin brother, you've perhaps also heard of him? What about him? I asked. Only that if they were to come together on this particular native holiday and work for the higher Mayan good, they might bring a positive transformation to our local culture. But Mahalena, some people say she has denied her spiritual calling. I hear so many curious stories and myths, some ancient and some just now forming in the minds of the locals. Two weeks ago, she said in her low voice, Mahi left the lake. I heard that her twin brother, he lives just a twenty-minute boat ride east of here, warned her that there was perhaps danger brewing among the traditional forces across the lake, led by some old lingering brujo the government hasn't yet managed to eliminate. Perhaps because of this threat, it seems that Mahi went north to be with her grandfather somewhere in the States. That's where you met her? I blinked, trying to remember the story I was holding on to about Mahi, and wondering why this woman was telling me all this information. Like I said, I mumbled, she was at some party in Los Angeles. But I sense you know something about her. I'll tell you honestly what I know, she said. What I know is that she was sent up north by her grandmother to follow the progression of an ancient Mayan art piece. She was hoping she might perhaps find a way to recover it for her people. So, I've been open and honest with you, Jack. Please, what can you tell me? Well, I said... Just that I met her in L.A., and she gave me her dad's address when she heard I was coming down this way. 
If she's on the lake, I'd definitely like to meet her again. Let me ask you just one question, she responded. When you look inward as you breathe, do you feel where Maha has touched your heart? Perhaps right now she is sitting quietly breathing into the feeling of our presence in her heart. We are all of us connected through the heart chakra. Do you feel this? Um, sort of, sure. But tell me, what about her dad? Is he an occult leader of some sort down here? I had been told that he was just a painter and maybe some sort of psychologist. Ah, she said, el maestro. The truth is, I've known him since we were both sent to the States to a boarding school, the Ojai Valley School. Do you know it? Uh, sure, I said. My granddad's ranch is in Ojai. Well, Michael invited me one summer to travel with his father, Raphael, down to visit his mother, who still lives across the lake. Her name is Abierta. She comes over here once a month on the full moon. Any day now, actually. She still comes in a small boat with one of her students to soak and talk. My own father? Up there, she said, pointing to the misty old guy I'd spotted earlier. They have become close. Abierta, she is the living soul of Atitlan. Did Mahi perhaps mention her grandmother to you at that party? Um, no, I said. I see, Juan, that you are now beginning to look tired. Yeah, it's been a long day, a long week. Indeed, she said, for all of us, except my father there. He is becoming younger, not older, coming in here every morning and every evening for several hours. He's convinced the steam of this particular volcano will grant him eternal life. He was once quite powerful in Buenos Aires. When he fell from power, he went adventuring to Nepal and then to Mongolia, then to a Gurdjieff monastery in Bulgaria. Finally, he returned home and trekked up the Amazon, where he partook of ayahuasca and several other native potions. Since then, he is mostly no longer speaking. He only meditates. He is our silent, disengaged witness. He speaks only to Abierta and also to El Maestro. Papa describes his visions and El Maestro goes back to his compound and paints those visions. So perhaps we should go up now, before the many steps become too high to mount. Yeah, I said, please, thanks. She was silent for a lengthy moment, looking into my eyes with what I can only call a soft flow of compassion. As for Mahalena, she said, for you to know her, this is your blessing. You're the one who has brought yourself into these sacred waters on this particular night. 
I have no idea why you are in need of purification. All I can hope is that these waters will make you strong, make you eager, make you willing for what is to come. And on that cryptic note, she stood up to depart. I felt suddenly immensely heavy in my bones, as if gravity had been turned up several quantum notches. Arise, my lord, she said. This is your moment to ascend. Le jour de gloire est arrivé, and at the very least, you shall need a good night's sleep.